the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I'm Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any good book that's going to make me cry. Right. This is at book 35, which feels very momentous. Um, But before we get into it, what else have you been reading lately, Chelsea? I am up to Kingdom of Ash. Oh, the the last book. (laughs) In my Throne of Glass reread. I'm so excited to finally read that thousand page doorstopper (laughs) and uh, see how it ends. And there's so many spoiler ships that I could like mention that I'm like (laughs) here for. Um, and so many like plot twists that I need to see the end to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm just very, I'm yeah. very excited. I'm just to dying for you to read it so we can talk about it. <laughs> I, I know. I need to find time. So I was supposed to read it this week, listeners, but I couldn't find time to get into it. And I feel like once I start reading it, I'm gonna wanna like read oh, it for sure. Yeah. And so I like had to force myself to not start. Because I wanted to be able to read it all in a couple of day, three or four day span. Yeah. And it's really long. And I just know I don't have that time for a few weeks. So I'm going to have to hold so off. No, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely read it basically in one sitting and it was so long. And, but I, yeah, I would characterize that, bu- the whole book as like the last hundred pages of the Harry Potter series where you're just like, it's just like at a rapid uh-huh. pace and you can't put it down. And it's, it's like a thousand pages of that. So, yeah, so I'm, you need the time. I'm holding off, but I just, I want to read it now. (laughs) Uh, I haven't really been reading anything else. I, you know, ever since I moved, I need to get a new library card because I'm in a new library system. And every time I think about it, I don't have like a piece of mail on me to show. And then I... And then I never get a, take a piece of mail and like put it in my purse. And so I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to read the books that I have. But mm-hmm. the result has mostly been that I've just read books, podcast books um, yeah. and nothing else. In, instead of trying to rapidly squeeze in one in between podcast books, I haven't been doing that as much because they aren't immediately on hand. Yeah. However, I, um, I'm close. Like I need to read nine books in the month of December to hit 100 books this year. So nice. I'm going to definitely try to do that. I know. I'm <laughs> so bad. So I've read 100 books and I've set my Goodreads goal for 100 books every year for the last three years. And then this year I was like, I'm going to read 120, 100 so easy. And I'm only at like 90 right now. So I would have to read 30 books in December. So I want one every day. Yeah. That's Which probably is not probably gonna just not going to happen <laughs> unless I like pad it with sure. children's books. Or like comic books or something. So I novels. did... Uh, because I really like meeting my goal and I want to meet fourth year in a row. I feel like I've set a precedent. I always <laughs> meet my goal. Um, I definitely padded it with, I uh, reserved the whole Narnia series for the library. Because <laughs> I was like, I can read three of those in a day. Yes, definitely. And, like, and then I was That's like, good. oh, maybe this is the year I need to reread uh, these series from when I was kids. Oh, when we read our Christmas uh, chapter book in my classroom, that totally counts. Like I was, <laughs> I've already started to plan all the ways that I can make it happen because I so desperately am like, I've not missed my goal oh, wow. in so long. This is like the first time I will have read 100 if I hit it. And the most I've ever read end of the year is like 70. So it's a. I, I read like a hundred and four was my most before, 
But so I just in my hubris, I said 120 <laughs> and now I'm going to have to read like some hundred page chapter books yeah. to make it happen. There you go. And since I don't count, I definitely have hit a hundred, except I don't count rereads. Oh, I, I count re-read. rereads. Yeah. So. so that makes it. Yeah. So I can't read the Narnia books <laughs> to get me there because I've already read them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And it makes sense though, because if I hit a hundred, that is like a podcast book and another book every week, mm-hmm. which, which has been pretty much the pace the whole time, the whole year. Mine's just a book crazy. a day. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Just from now, just for December. Not I mean, year. and to be fair, I do have three poetry books that I've been wanting to read that oh, are there short. You go. Those definitely so count. So like, I think I could That's still do it. That's not even a stretch it. to count those. You could just tune in listeners and see if I uh, <laughs> meet my goal. When this comes out, when this episode airs, it'll probably be the third week of December. So yeah. Yeah. We're recording this at the very, right before beginning December Beginning of December. So, yeah. So yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll know more. We'll have to see. Um, but the book we read this week for the podcast is The Elegance of the Hedgehog. It is by Muriel Barbary. It is a French author, and it was originally written in French, um, and was written in 2006, um, and it was a nice, it was, I would say, my perfect length of a novel, like 325 pages. I just felt like it was a sweet spot for a length of book, which is really, really nice. Yes, and it had chapters. Yes, which short you love, chapters. Short chapters, and it had alternating perspectives, and the different perspectives were in different fonts, which was kind of a fun thing. Which was very satisfying yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, what would you say is your one word description of this novel? Love. What's yours? French. <laughs> Which I, I feel like that's not just that it is French, but that it, it's like French in a way that a book, like this book is definitely really what identifies a French story. French. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, get what you, I get what you're going for. I wasn't just being super literal. Yeah. It very much felt what I think French culture Storytelling feels is. like. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well, let's give the quick plot for this book. Um, in one sentence, this book is about a concierge in a rich French apartment building and a suicidal 12-year-old resident who muse on the meaning or lack thereof of life. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, so consider the going forward our spoilers section. If you don't want to hear those, look at the show notes for when we get off of spoilers. Yes. And so in terms of spoilers, this book follows um, three main characters, the concierge, uh, the 12 year old suicidal 12 year old girl and then the a Japanese businessman who's just moved into the building um, who uh, is what kind of like the catalyst that changes change, the two yeah. characters lives yeah so the concierge is like a um, she's like a working class person mm-hmm. um, and she's a widow and she lives in this building you know to like receive packages and clean the hallways and stuff it seems like and she but she's actually like an intellectual and mm-hmm. she's really smart and she's really interested in philosophy and she reads a ton. But she puts on this whole facade to the residents that she's what you would expect a French concierge to be. And she just like lives out that role, mm-hmm. even though it's not who she is internally. And then the 12 year old girl is one is her. She has decided that everything in life is meaningless. And, and so when she turns 13 in a few months, she's going to kill herself and burn the building down. Yep. Uh, and so then her sections of the book are like her journaling about like, I want to put down some profound thoughts and the beautiful movements of the world before, before I die. I die. Uh, and then the Japanese man um, comes in and he like sees the concierge for what she really is. Um, and it, sh- and it, and he's like, sh- and it shakes up her whole life. Yes. Um, that she, and she, and it turns out that the reason she's kind of hid behind the facade is that um, she had like her sister, 
you know, went into the city when she was young and got pregnant by a really rich guy who left her and then she died. Mm-hmm. And, and so she just has this like, no, ever go outside of your place. Yes. Mentality. And, um, because and of she's that built a lot of trauma around yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, in the end of the novel, the, um, concierge ends up dying in kind of an ironic kind of way yeah uh, and sudden and it's sudden and it it serves as a secondary catalyst for the 12 year old girl deciding to live yeah her life um and that there's meaning in the lack of meaning yeah it's a very philosophical book there's definitely long passages that are like like the concierge thinking about mm-hmm. the meaning of literature or like the philosophical the philosophical text that she's currently reading and there's a lot of passages about grammar yeah so it was an interesting book because I whenever I sat down and would read it for like an hour I would get really into it and I really liked it but I couldn't read it like on my lunch break it, it required focus um to get because to get into the rhythm of the writing mm-hmm. but then once I was in it I found the writing itself to be really beautiful like one of the best ones we've read for the podcast for in for the language in it at some mm-hmm. of the some of the quotes and like metaphors in it, I think were like really good the writing is really good but you could not read this casually <laughs> well and I thought that the writing was uh it did something really well whereas I feel like some of our other podcast books have been like they're really they're really written like they think a lot of themselves Yes, um, you can hear the pretension. You can in the hear writing, the pretension yeah. in the writing, and it doesn't feel like it's serving a purpose other than to be pretentious. This book had some pretension in it, like the way, like in the in the fact that it was so intellectual. Yeah. But even though I felt like I wasn't smart enough to access some of the intellectual things <laughs> they were talking about, like there was, it felt like that was a part of the layering of the story, yeah. and that it was okay to not get those passages like that you could access it at so many different levels and that that was part of the point. And so, um, when there was like five pages talking about philosophers and their theories Mm -hmm. and I was just kind of like, huh, but it also felt like that was part of the point of the story. And like when you got something, you're like, Oh, I get that little, little tiny bit of it. And then it wasn't the main like, all of the story wasn't that. There was also a novel aspect there was plot. written through There was it. plot, yeah. And so, I don't yeah. know. I really liked that, though, that it um, it had that. And I think that a lot of authors try and do that, where they try and be really intellectual, but still um, be, like, realistic in real life. And I think this novel actually did it in a real way. Yeah, that's I, yeah. Because I think one of the themes of the book is definitely that no matter what your life is, it has meaning. No matter mm-hmm. what your station in life is, you have it has meaning. And that the people that are most unhappy are the people who can't find happiness like in their station, where yeah. what, rich or poor, whatever it is. Uh, and so it's like the even the structure of the book reflected that, mm-hmm. which is, which is not easy to pull off. No, yeah. As a writer, because you know, we've definitely read some bad books that I've yes. tried to do that, like you're saying. Um, this is the confession. This is the only book we've read for the podcast that's made me cry. Like I didn't bl- cry. Full, like, like choked up, like 
like I read it maybe in three sittings and I only cried once Mm -hmm. but in each sitting I like when I put it down I felt like an over like a like a bubbling up of like emotion of just about like that this book is meaningful uh in a a very unexpected way (laughs) because I I was expecting that as a French book it would just be really dark and Mm -hmm. existential and I wouldn't get anything out of it but I, I was really touched by it and it was but it was also something else too yeah which is interesting yeah no I um I definitely like the first 50 pages I was like oh fuck (laughs) yeah oh fuck and then as I got more into it and as I was reading it I I did I felt more of the story and I really I got engaged I especially liked the like the, the teenage girl, her small movements that she notices, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the beautiful movements in life or whatever she calls them. Um, and I thought that those were really interesting because they were snapshots of just like things she was seeing in the world around her. And it was interesting to hear her kind of perspective on it and the how if someone's looking in from a moment, like it can either look really profound or really stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, cause there were some where she was like seeing two high class women, um, who were supposedly, you know, so high up in society fighting over a pair of panties. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so it was very, I really liked those scenes. I thought that those little vignettes were interesting. Um, and I really felt for the concierge, like I wanted her, I wanted her to get to, um, have someone to share her intelligence with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was interesting because while you were like, I think she's content with what she has. Like I want a little more for her. I want her to get to share her voice. Yeah. And it it begs the question, like how, how much of our lives are us playing a role that we feel Mm -hmm. like we're expected to play um, on different levels. And, and what does that, how does that affect our ultimate happiness? Mm -hmm. Because I think she would have been fine if, some, nothing had disrupted her life but then she, there's a one passage in particular like a very short like page and a half chapter after she meets the um the Japanese businessman mm-hmm. where she's like in your life you want to have like a summer rain you know you're just going along day-to-day routine everything's fine but then a summer rain comes and it refreshes and it changes everything and you weren't expecting it yeah uh, and it's like this beautiful like refrain a summer rain a summer rain a summer rain and and so it's like breaking her out of a role did make her happier, you know? And it just, um, but she wouldn't have known that from inside the role, you know? And it wasn't that when she died that I cried. I basically cried over like her realizing that she was lovable and could Mm -hmm. be, be herself and be lovable and take risks. And that that made me cry. Like not at all. Like the, not the sad part of the book at all. And I thought there, this author does a really good job of there's just like lines in there where you're like gut punching kind of with that, like, you're going along and you want a submarine and you, it makes you realize things you could have. Yeah. There's a point in one of the, the girls profound thoughts where she says that she's talking about how people are just going along with their lives. And she goes, and if you want my opinion, the most awful thing is not that we're playing this game, but that it isn't a game. Yeah, that's good. I know I, I wrote like book quotes into my quote journal while mm-hmm. I was reading this. Um, one, one um, particularly about eternity. I think I have it right here. Um, yeah, moments like this are an act of ma- 
are, are moments like this act as magical interludes, placing our hearts at the edge of our souls, fleetingly yet intensely a, fra- a fra- fragment of eternity has come to enrich time. Oh, that's good. That this this book is interesting because it is like a cross between like a book club read and like mm-hmm. this philosophical thing, but it really works. Yeah, um, and no, you would and not think, think it would work. I think that it was. Um, it was very popular when it came out. I remember hearing about this mm-hmm. book when it came out. Um, we were in college. I didn't have any interest in reading it, but I remember hearing people talking about this yeah. book. And so, and it was a lot of like mom's book clubs. Like yeah. my mom read this book and it passed around her like circle of friends. And she, when I said we were reading this, said she really loved this book. And then it also got critically good praise too from for like some of the philosophical stuff in it so it did do a really good job of like meshing yeah yeah which yeah I think it's it's really really good and it it also touched on the theme that we've seen in a lot of books lately about like what's the purpose of literature what's Mm -hmm. the purpose of art what does art do for us um and and I think this book you a lot of the books we've read like that uh Mal the second it was kind of like there is no purpose. Like the purpose of art is ruined by like violence, you know, and mm-hmm. now violence is, is all we have. And this book, I think actually said more like what we had, what we were like, we can't, that's just so upsetting when we, when it's, when it's that other side. And mm-hmm. this book was more like art is what gives what makes our emotions visible and reveals that we have souls. Like yeah. that's the purpose of literature is to remind you that you have a soul. Yeah. And I, um, I want to talk for a second too about the title of oh, this yeah. book mm-hmm. because this title um sometimes in in novels it's not fully explained why they named it that way or you know this one has literally a quote passage where mm-hmm. the two char- two of the characters are talking about what the elegance elegance of a hedgehog is and it says madame michelle who is the concierge has the elegance of the hedgehog on the outside she's covered in quills a real fortress but my gut feeling is that on the inside she has the same simple refinement as the hedgehog a deceptively indolent little creature fiercely solitary and terribly elegant yeah that's great i just loved it i don't know there's something just i kept thinking back on that like never heard a hedgehog described like that but then as you're listening you're like oh yeah yeah. yeah, this is a yeah, the for because the writing is so good, I this is one I feel like will stick with me and I'll continue to think about some of those quotes. It's very quotable. Did you have to look up any words while you were reading it? Um, I definitely saw words I didn't know, but I didn't look them up. <laughs> I just kept reading. So I read it on the um on my phone on the Kindle app, some of it, and I definitely there was like, I don't know what that means. Let me <laughs> highlight it to define it. Yeah. Because it had some very like needy SAT kind of words yeah. in it. Yeah. Which makes sense because it's a translation, you mm-hmm. know, that a word that might actually be more common in French, the, the translated part, but it's not as hard. In English yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is definitely the most. Fr- we just read the Mandarins, which is French, mm-hmm. and, we were, and we talked about like this is definitely the most French book yes. that we've read out of this- the French books that we've read. <laughs> <laughs> this was more French than the manner. Yeah, it just like I don't know something like that. It has a dark ending, mm-hmm. and then it's like philosophical, and then it's very much like it's very ethereal. Like the yeah. the tone is very ethereal. It, interestingly, too, it was very French, but all the characters in it were obsessed with Japanese culture. Oh yeah, I wanted to talk about that. That's the only part of the book I found kind of problematic, which was weird. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of. 
fetishizing of Japanese culture and this book felt like it's definitely coming out of that this idea that Japanese people have more insight into the world um that was the only part where I was like oh I could have left this part this out some some of this and um but I just you know this book's 10 years old Mm -hmm. and I wasn't surprised that yeah it also um a few times used the R word to emphasize points mm-hmm. um, yeah. in it, which I thought uh, was again, a sign of the times because I don't think any book that was critically acclaimed now would have that in it. Yeah. Um, but so, and it, it's interesting. It's one of those words where I'm like, Oh God, that's in text. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it is like the, the way we talk, talk about disability is different in Europe than it is here. Mm-hmm. And at least, I don't know about France, but at least someone told me that like in Italy, they still put people most in institutions. Like you have a kid with a disability when they're a baby and then you give them up. Oh, so that's way more common than it is in the, and that, that still exists in the U S but not that's at all. Common. Like it once did, yeah. you know? And, and so, um, I don't know if it's like that in France too, but it's just like the whole, the culture around disability is different. It's different. There. Yeah. And we don't know what it is. And so the language, so the language, whatever they're translating into the R word, might be the, something that is derogatory. That is the thing they use the most. People use the yeah. most often, or at least some people, at least the people that, that would be represented by these characters. Yeah. Um. Anything else? Oh, you. I thought um there was another side character who was a maid in the. Oh yeah. In the house, apartment the house, apartment house yeah. that they live in. Um, named Manuela and I thought it was very interesting um, how this novel they did a really good job of talking about kind of different kinds of intelligences and different kinds of finding grace in your like with what you have Um, and I think that it was interesting because Manuela kind of served as a counterpoint to uh the main concierge, concierge lady. I can't think of her name now for some reason. It's just out of my head. Yeah. Uh, and how those women had found this friendship bond because they both kind of had found uh, a kinship and intelligence in each mm-hmm. other and like a safe place to share that, even though their intelligences were very different. Right. Um, but, they what they were to, interested but they both in. had to hide their intelligence. And they both, they both had both to hide they it. Had to, yeah. um, and how, even though they, had to do that they had both found some contentment like I don't know I thought it spoke I thought this book spoke really well to how you can feel content with what you have and still um without accepting injustices you can feel content with your life I don't know yeah, and I there's a line where because the concierge talks a lot about how this maid is her only friend, and that, that like you know if you're if you're if you're only gonna have one friend, mm-hmm. choose them as well as like as yeah. good as this person is, which was really sweet. Um, yeah, I don't. This book, I feel like I, I don't have a lot of like. Let me let's talk about these specific yeah. things, but it was just it was just a beautiful book. Like it's it's re, it's immensely readable for I for I feel not every reader but mm-hmm. like I feel like more readers than a lot of the books that are on this list and I feel like if you get through the first 50 pages you could finish yeah the if book. you get into the rhythm of it I think you'd like it and I just uh the writing was so good mm-hmm. it's like and compared to some of the books we read for the list the right where the writing is not the strong thing that's yeah. getting them on the list this book it's that the writing is so good yeah 
Um, and so, but just like the rhythm and the is like really great. So why don't we just say we think it should be on the list? One, two, three. Yes. yes. In fact, I'm gonna go as so far as to say is that this just shot into my top three. Ooh, my, per- my personal top three favorites. Who did knock off? I don't know. I don't have to decide until we get to book forty. Ha. That's that's when we when we update our what we think should be on the well, list. Well, fabulous. So we are gonna move out of spoilers and into our special segment of the day. Yeah, so I found this fun article on Book Riot. Um, you know how they, um, there's all like lots of jokes on the internet about like our people are writing serious articles like millennials are ruining the paper napkin industry and then people make jokes about how they're blaming millennials uh-huh. for everything. So they did an article, 15 bookish things that millennials have ruined. Oh God. So I just thought we could see how, you know, talk about it and see how we identified. So there's some things that, things that we've killed forever and then there's, Things that are dead primarily because we have massive student loan debt and the market hasn't kept up. But you keep blaming us, even though we weren't you know, alive when these factors began. <laughs> so we'll go with things we've killed forever. Um, reading lists composed exclusively of cisgender, heterosexual white men. I think it's and, good that that's, that's dead. Good that that's dead. Two, canons that exclusively admit cisgender, heterosexual white men. Good that it's dead. Good that it's dead. Literature departments that primarily service cisgender heterosexual white men. Good, Good. that it's dead. Yeah. Unchecked colonial undertones in book awards nominees. Good that it's dead. Something that's definitely come on books that we read for the podcast. I um, know, because it's just in the recent... Yeah. Five, continuing to read the novels of abusive cisgender heterosexual white men just because their words are considered brilliant. Good that it's dead. Yeah. Um, number six... Harper Lee and Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> well, Harper Lee because of... She's problematic Because she's problematic bit. and because they released the, uh, the second mm-hmm. one. And Kurt Vonnegut, I think, just because he's the most pretentious writer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know I don't what, know. anything more about him. What have I read by Kurt Vonnegut? What's the thing everybody's read? Slaughterhouse-Five? No, no, it's not Kurt Vonnegut. We read stuff I, something like short stories by him in high school, but I don't think I've read anything else. Fear and Loathing? Oh. Uh, uh, Jeremy suggested a book we've never heard of. <laughs> so not sure about that one. And then number seven, only reading books on reconstituted corpses of trees. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other category, things that are dead because of massive student loan debt and the market hasn't kept up, but keep blaming us even though we weren't alive when these factors began working. <laughs> um, making, being able to make a living as a freelance writer. Oh, I, yeah, I used to, but I also think there's more opportunities to get your book self-published on Kindle and things now where it was harder to self-publish before. and to like get, um, to gather online with a community of writers to like mm-hmm. critique and help each other improve that exists yeah. in a way that it, you don't have to go to like a retreat center in the Appalachians to do that. Now you can do it online. Um, and that does open the door for more people who aren't cisgender <laughs> sexual white men to get access mm-hmm. to those kind of things. Um, being the first on your block to own a first edition of a literary classic as like a thing people are trying to do. I definitely don't try yeah. to collect literary classics, not interested in it. So I think that's real. I'm collecting a thousand one books, but I don't care if they're first editions. Yeah. <laughs> These ones, in fact, we're looking for used ones usually because it's fun to see the notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one is a little bit more sad. Daily reading hours in luxurious home libraries that feature snifters of brandy and Cuban cigars. <laughs> I don't care about the brandy of the cigar- cigars, but a home library. <laughs> I mean, I want a snifter of wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
using a portion of your inheritance to act as the financial benefactor to the village's talented but struggling budding novelist. I think that's been dead for a good long time. Like a hundred years. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's us. I don't think that's us. Um, using a portion of your inheritance to fund a two-year retreat in the Alps during which you work on your own brilliant first novel. Now you write your brilliant first novel after your first two day jobs yeah. and taking care of your kids. At night. At night. Fueled <laughs> um, by coffee. Yeah. You give up sleep. That's what you give up. Um, gold dip pens, desks originally owned by one of the founding fathers, and other fancying and inspiring writing accoutrement. <laughs> I love the word accoutrement, though. Yeah. Um, fancy leather-bound collector's editions. A hundred oh. copies only yours for only the two forty nine ninety nine of that... mediocre books written by Canon cisgender. Oh, there we go. I was like, is that dead though? Because if I like found a like a fancy leather bound like Jane Eyre in a thrift shop, I'd be like, yes, mine. Yes, I mean, even when every time I see that like Penguin Books is going to give away, like we're giving away a hundred books a, this set, I always enter the contest yeah. because that would be awesome. But mediocre books, yes, mediocre that's dead. books, yeah. Um, Housefuls of Persian cats named after classical literary heroes. I mean, my cat is named Tonks. Is Nymphadora Tonks a classical literary hero yet? She's on her way to being one. I mean, give it a few more years. I think you can count it. There's definitely, there's a whole generation of kids that were born, that are old enough to read, that were born after the last one came out. So I think that's real. And the last one, um, Borders. Borders. (laughs) Which that was my favorite bookstore that was a chain. It's so much better than Barnes and Noble. If they had just made their own e reader, they would still Borders shouldn't have died. And then it really it says that we're still working on Republican majorities and Jonathan Franzen's dominance. That's pretty funny. Yeah. The list is funny. (laughs) I think that it's interesting though. I mean, obviously it's a list like in farce, but it's interesting that uh things we've killed are like the predominancy of like the cisgender white male. Like, uh, and it's, as we read these books, we still see a lot of that because these books are old books. So that's, and this is where they've tried to make this list less like that even. And they're still, and I feel like the one we're saying that books are pretentious, like that's mostly code word for, for like that kind of writer. And a lot of the times, or that, like, when the books are really wish fulfillment-y, we haven't read God. any books by, like, women that are wish fulfillment in the same I, way as the men. I think that this uh, podcast has given me a new, like, a new literary pet peeve, and it is wish fulfillment books. Yeah. And like, like, I, it has to be funny, mm-hmm. wish fulfillment, but if it's not funny, it's not good, for sure. Um, I just, just listened to this feminist podcast I listened to called The Guilty Feminist, and... Um, they are one of the people is like they do stand up and stuff. And one of them was talking about how like it's good that now these more diverse voices are at the table and, mm-hmm. and you can find those books that you still have to try to find them. They don't fall into your lap. Yeah. It's still the same bold books that fall in your lap. Um, but you can find them like they exist. But then but then you have to think about like so many generations of people, men and women of color and women in general and gay people and like that. They had they had the ability to like really invest in the arts in some way, mm-hmm. and they didn't have the opportunity. So like there's all like there's all this like huge gap of like miss things that were missing mm-hmm. in culture because in the in 1782 you know so and so couldn't write the great novel that could have yeah. been written because her words you know weren't allowed at the table. It's interesting um, because we talk you know primarily about like adult literature um, on the podcast in a thousand one books, but 
today I had an opportunity to think about like things that are missing from my classroom library. So we had uh, a teacher in the building who was a student teacher and she was coming to observe classrooms at another school and she wasn't in my classroom but she was in my hallway um and she was a teacher with dwarfism okay um and so as I my kids saw her as they were landing up for recess and six-year-olds obviously don't have there's no filter (laughs) filter on how you react to something like that and so they had varying like expected reactions for children who don't yeah have a, a conception of what how you treat a person like a person no matter what they look like and so like then we went back to class and we had to have a really long conversation about like oh do you think that you know someone likes being pointed at what's a better thing to do and what does that look like when we're talking to someone who looks different than us and how they're still a person and like you treat them just like you would any other person and you can say hello and ask their name you know and all this kind of stuff and the whole time I was like you know, I don't think I have any books in my classroom library that have persons and people with disabilities in wheelchairs Mm -hmm. or people, um, there's not a lot of books with children with down syndrome in them or children, like obviously dwarfism is a very rare, like, but there's not books with showing, um, disabilities in any way, shape or form are not still not in children's literature unless you're looking for it. Um, and it was very interesting because, my kids can have very um, age appropriate, but very like in-depth conversations about like race for being six, because that is something that is pretty commonly easy to find books that are addressing it in children's literature. If you're looking in the right places now, but there's still holes like that or um, like holes in um, showing families that have, two dads or two moms like in children's literature that still aren't filled and so they aren't even even at six they're not getting that ability to build that conversation through literature whereas they're getting the ability to build conversations about race through literature and so I was just like huh that is a whole yeah and see all the books we've read that are like literature doesn't mean anything what does it mean that's this is what it means yes like this is what it means <laughs> starting with children's literature it gives you the ability to talk about stuff that's that's not you it's not your own experience or like to try to learn about it in a respectful way <laughs> like that's its yeah. purpose and all that to say yeah. if any of you listeners know any books that talk about disabilities in a really respectful way for kids that aren't a trope because I think they're so much better when it's not a trope because yes. that's not helping anyone Uh, Let me know, because now I realize that that's a hole I have not filled. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what I, like, love about all the, like, millennials are killing and making fun of them articles, because it's, like, all the things that we're supposedly killing, I'm like, yep, it's good that that's dying. It's good that we're buying less diamonds, because guess what? Slaves mine diamonds. (laughs) It's good that we're buying less napkins, because guess what? They They rot in landfills for eternity, you know? Yeah. it's good that people are prioritizing their disposable income to what they really ne- actually need. Oh, you know? I know. Like, like, uh, it's super funny. The things that we're killing are also funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's time? draw our next book. Dun, Number 36 is... Fear of Flying. Airplanes. I, I hope this isn't about a plane crash because, because it'll be so rough for you because you have such a real fear of flying. And I don't want to exasperate that in any way. I do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's not have it be about plane crashes. Um, maybe it'll be about someone overcoming their fear of flying. That I would be good. It'd be like a little self-help book for you. 
it's more likely that it'll be about someone overcoming a fear of doing something that they like that will set them free yeah maybe it'll be about yeah like ballet or something you know i love ballet yeah (laughs) we know you do (laughs) um but yeah i think it'll be over overcoming fear of some kind i'm i'm intrigued i am as well i think it'll be great um but until we talk to you next time you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 1001BooksPod or let's see at 1001BooksPodcast or email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, happy happy reading. reading!